Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 8 of Genesis chapter 9. And we're continuing to read from verse 13. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, And every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, this is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And I'll stop reading there. Now we've uh, been discussing the rainbow, the bow that God has set in the cloud as a token of the covenant. And uh, we saw that the word token is also a word that is translated as sign. Later on, in Genesis chapter 17, when God makes a covenant with Abram, Abraham, the sign of the covenant is circumcision. It says in Genesis 17, in verse 10, This is my covenant, which he shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token... And and again, that word is translated as sign often. It shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. And the, the sign of circumcision was given to the Jewish people. And, and all male Hebrew children were to be circumcised on the eighth day and, and receive the sign of the covenant. Now the error the mistake that the people of Israel made was to trust in the sign and and to think that because they received the sign of circumcision, which um, was the sign of this covenant God made with Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and, and all Israel, that they were safe and secure as long as they had the sign upon them. But no, the sign is a sign. It it points to something else. That's what signs or tokens do. They they are not the reality of the thing. And that's exactly how it is with the rainbow. God physically set a bow in the clouds and um, many throughout time over the last 7,000 years plus since the flood have seen this sign that God has established in the heaven. 
and we've seen it after a rain. Yet the rainbow is just a token or a sign of the covenant. It's really in itself nothing. It just points to a spiritual reality. On one hand, the rainbow is a sign of the earthly physical covenant God has made with all flesh, with all animals, with the earth itself. He will not destroy the world by a flood. But looking at it more in depth, we saw in our last study that the rainbow is a sign of God's covenant with his people that have had their sins paid for in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and since Christ has paid for their sins, that was the judgment of God. The rainbow is like the assurance, the guarantee to everyone who had their sins paid for that God will not demand or exact a second payment. He will not require any of these elect individuals whose sins were cast upon the Lord to um, make any additional payment. They will not have to pay double a second time for their sin. Their sin has been satisfactorily taken care of. Uh, the law and its demands for death for the transgressing of it has been paid. And, and the law has no further argument. It has no further demand against the people of God. And, and the rainbow typifies that. We saw that that's the case when we went to Isaiah 54. And in Isaiah 54, God speaks of judgment day. He likens it to a small moment. In verse 7, for a small moment have I forsaken thee, both great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith Jehovah thy Redeemer. The language is only applicable to God's people. It's only those who were chosen and had their sins cast upon Christ, as Jesus bore their sins, that it could be said that God will have everlasting kindness and mercy on them. And he also calls himself Jehovah thy Redeemer. He has redeemed them. He has purchased them. He has bought them with the price of his own blood. And then he says, to the elect only, in verse 9, for this is as or like the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith Jehovah, that hath mercy on thee. And here in verses 9 and 10, he first says that despite this small moment of being forsaken and experiencing his wrath, it will only be for a small moment because God's plan is to 
show everlasting kindness and mercy. And so the, the people of God that are experiencing this momentary trouble, this grievous thing, really, of being forsaken for a small moment, yet be patient, wait on the Lord, because shortly God will shower his people with everlasting kindness. And he will show them that promise of mercy and they will experience eternal life and, and everything the Bible says, all the wonderful words of the scripture that uh, speak to uh, all of God's elect that have entered into covenant. God has made the covenant with them and his promises declare these things. And God likens that, which is basically the um, typical Bible salvation program message to the waters of Noah and then he says as he has sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee nor rebuke thee and therefore the rainbow which is the token of God's sworn testimony it is the declaration of God, and he uses the very same kind of language in verse 11, I will establish my covenant with you, back in Genesis 9, verse 11, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the token of the covenant. And we see the very same type of language as in Isaiah 54. Therefore, this rainbow that is in the clouds has a deeper spiritual meaning that is addressed directly to every child of God. When, when you see the downpour that comes on, on a day, or maybe it rains for three days, but then the rain ends, and, and a bow appears in the cloud above. Well, we can remember that earthly physical covenant God made with the world. And once again, he was faithful to it. He did not cause a worldwide flood to destroy everything with the breath of life, as he promised. But more than that, we can remember or we can have in mind that God has sworn similarly to each one of us, that we will not experience a judgment and have to pay for our sins. Now, the whole matter of the elect appearing before the judgment seat to make a demonstration is a different matter. There is no payment for sins taking place as God's people are making this appearance or making manifest that what what did take place at the foundation of the world. So God is faithful to that. He will not require the elect to pay for their sins. That would be double jeopardy uh, due to the fact that their sins have already been paid for by Christ. And and so the rainbow is really a glorious it's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing because 
it, it is something we see outside the Bible when we look up into the cloud. But in order to understand it as a sign, we have to read the Bible. And that's in keeping with what Jesus said in, in the Gospels, that an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign as, as the Israelites would uh, demand uh, an outward sign, something in the world. And then Jesus responded, No sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And to understand the sign of the prophet Jonah, you have to read the book of Jonah, you have to read the scripture. To understand the rainbow, you have to read Genesis and, and other places. You have to read the scripture. It's sort of like we read in the Bible that the church age is over, that all churches are apostate, that Satan ruled for a 23-year period, and that's why the churches have been given over to lies to to the tremendous degree that they have. And we can see that out in the world. We've been to churches in the past and seen that in action as the pastor would preach or the elder would teach. And we see the erroneous doctrines, the faulty calls uh, to come down the aisle to accept Christ. And we, we see what the Bible is talking about out in the world. And, and it's on our street corners with every local congregation. But we learn about it in the Bible itself. There, there is a difference. Just like the Bible tells us about the fig tree being in leaf. And, and that's an indicator of the end stage of the world's history. When you see the fig tree in leaf, you can know that it's near. And the fig tree is national Israel. It's a picture of Israel as well as the New Testament churches and congregations. And, and so when Israel became a nation once again after over 1900 years or, or about 1900 years of being scattered amongst the nations of the world. And, and then in 1948, uh, due to dramatic circumstances, they were reconstituted as a nation amongst the nations of the world once again. And, and so that's something you also see out in the world. Israel is presently over in the Middle East as a nation. And anybody can see that. But where do we read about that sign in the Bible? We read about it in Matthew and Mark. And God tells us about it. We learn about it there. Then there can be uh, some sort of physical manifestation of it in the world. Whether it be apostate church, the nation of Israel being a nation once again, or the rainbow that we see in the, in the sky above. And so God has set his bow in a cloud, as it says in Genesis 9.13, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And also in our last study, we went to Revelation 10, and we saw how the rainbow was identified with the mighty angel who who could only be the Lord Jesus Christ, and was round about or upon his head. Well, there's also another reference in the book of Revelation to a rainbow. In Revelation chapter 4, beginning in the first verse. 
After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, here, once again, the rainbow is mentioned, and it is spoken of in relationship to the one that sat upon the throne. And that can only be God. That can only be the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, in Judgment Day, we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment throne. And it says there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. We're also told in verse 4 of something else round about the throne. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now the Four and twenty elders are representative of the twelve tribes of Israel plus the twelve apostles. Or they're representative of all the Old Testament saints and all the New Testament saints. Or, again, a figure of all God's elect throughout all history. And notice that they're clothed in white raiment, which would be the righteousness of Christ. And they're wearing on their head, heads, crowns of gold, which is a picture of salvation. So these 24 elders, again, are a representation of everyone that God has saved, that um, we could say all whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life are typified by these 24 elders. And they are found round about the throne. Where's the rainbow? Round about the throne. So we see, just as um, Isaiah 54 told us, that the rainbow, which uh, was the token of the promise that, that God swore he would no longer bring waters of a flood to destroy, and and that is related in Isaiah 54, to the fact God will not destroy or annihilate certain ones, those predestinated to receive it uh, by the mercy of God, that instead he will show them everlasting kindness. He will have mercy upon them. And, and so he has sworn the waters will not again cover the earth. The rainbow, therefore, is that token of the covenant, the gospel message, the central aspect of the gospel message between God and those that he has obligated himself to save from the point of the foundation of the world. And and, and therefore, it's no wonder 
the rainbow is round about the throne. God is on the throne. It's round about him. And so are the elect round about. They have that rainbow as a wonderful assurance, as a great confidence. They can know for certainty that they will dwell with God in God's presence eternally, forevermore, because the rainbow is right there with them, round about, as a testimony of God's promise. And and God is faithful always to his promise. He always speaks the truth. He never is a deceiver. He never lies. He never misspeaks. He never makes a covenant and fails to uphold it. He is faithful and true. And these 24 elders are evidence of that fact that he has upheld his covenants. The only reason they are in heaven, the only reason they're round about the throne of God, that they are with God and God is with them because of the rainbow, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we also find something else in Revelation 4 concerning the rainbow that's interesting, and that is that the Bible tells us um, what it looked like. It, it says in Revelation 4, in verse 3, the second part of the verse, And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. Now an emerald is is a gemstone, and as far as emeralds we know about today, um, it, it's very um, sort of brilliant green, uh, shiny green. But a rainbow, the rainbow we see in the sky, is multicolored. Uh, so it, I, I'm not sure. In other words, if the stone we call an emerald today is the same stone the Bible is referring to as an emerald, uh, but but it could be. the The point of the emerald isn't to um, really tell us this is what a rainbow looks like, even though that's what God's saying, in sight like unto an emerald, that a rainbow is in sight like unto an emerald, but it is to direct us to the use of the word emerald in the Bible. It is to help define the rainbow because it's likened to an emerald. And so let, let's do that. Let's see where else God speaks of an emerald. In Exodus 28, we read of an emerald, and we'll begin in verse 15, And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work. After the work of the ephod, thou shalt make it of gold, of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, and of fine twine linen shalt thou make it. Four square it shall be, being doubled, a span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. And thou shalt set it in settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This shall be the first row. And the second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a ligur, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, and an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold in their enclosings. 
and the stone shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve, according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, everyone with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. And uh, here we're reading of the breastplate of judgment, which would be um, worn by Aaron, the high priest of Israel. And Aaron is another figure of Christ, who is the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But Aaron would wear the breastplate of judgment, and it would include these settings of stones on the breastplate, and then he would uh, enter into the temple to go about his high priestly duties, which were to offer sacrifice, especially the sacrifice once a year inside the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, when he would go in and, and sprinkle the blood of the sacrificial animal with much incense, so it would be hard to see anything, but he would sprinkle the blood upon uh, the mercy seat that was on top of the Ark of the Covenant containing the Ten Commandments or the Law of God. And, and he went in wearing the breastplate of judgment, and as we, we read, each of the stones represented the uh, tribes of the children of Israel, 12 stones, 12 tribes. And we read of another piece of his garment or his high priestly attire a little bit earlier on in the same chapter of Exodus 28. In verse 8, it says, And the curious girdle of the ephod, which is upon it, shall be of the same according to the work thereof, even of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen. And thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children of Israel. Six of their names on one stone and the other six names of the rest of the other stone according to their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel. Thou shalt make them to be set in alches of gold, and thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before Jehovah upon his two shoulders for memorial. It's a, a different part of the attire, but it's the same idea. Aaron is bearing the names of the children of Israel in his clothing they're part of the priestly garments because the Lord Jesus Christ, when, when he went about performing the duties of his priesthood, which was after the order of Melchizedek, and, and that high priestly duty was accomplished at the point of the foundation of the world in eternity past when God slew God Christ died as the Lamb, the sacrifice, at the foundation of the world, which means that eternal God slew the Lamb, the the priest, the, it was the function of the high priest to slay the sacrificial animal, so Christ as Melchizedek slew 
Christ as the Lamb. God slew God. Just as we see demonstrated on the cross when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, who is Jesus? Eternal God that is crying out that God has forsaken him. God has slain him, smitten him. And and so God smote God, which was teaching us that God smote God at the foundation of the world. And when he did so, he was bearing the breastplate of judgment in a way. He was bearing the names of his people. He had upon Christ their sins he had upon himself as he was was putting Christ to death the names of all the tribes of of the fullness of God's elect that were in view who would have their sins paid for through that mysterious and wonderful act of atonement Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.